Hi, this is Matt, and this is just a quick heads up about the episode that you're about to listen to. There are some adult themes and dialogue that may not be appropriate for everyone, so just a heads up about that, and of course it's totally up to you, but we wanted to give you that warning. Enjoy the episode. Well, that was the opening to Clute, released in 1971, uh, directed by Alan Pakula, and starring Jane Fonda, Donald Sutherland, Charles, I'm probably going to butcher his last name, Siofi? I think it's, that's pretty close, Siofi? Yeah, well, if I got that wrong and anybody knows better, let me know. (laughs) And then Roy Scheider as the pimp. Kind of a different role from his uh, turn in Jaws. Yes, it was early in his career too. So, and an uncredited and only a split second, but I found a YouTube video of it appearance by Sylvester Stallone. I saw that in the uh, in the write ups I was doing, but I didn't see him in the film. Where where, where is oh, yeah. he? Yeah, if you if you blinked or looked away for a split second, you'd miss him. He's a dancer in one of the nightclubs, and he's up on he's in the background, and he's up on like the stage, and he's got a shirt his shirt off. Oh my goodness! This was like five years, I think, before he came on the scene with Rocky. Yeah, so funny that 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 was his first movie appearance. It's so yeah, wow. It's fun in a lot of the old movies from the forties. There'll be these really quick cameo roles that people show up in that later they're very popular. I think we did one recently, might have been from the 50s, where Audrey Hepburn was in it for like, it was that English film and she was in it for like 12 seconds. Right, yeah. At the restaurant. I guess you have to start somewhere, huh? You try to work your way into the business and that's probably what was happening there, yeah. Um, I don't have the 
production company or anything here, so maybe you could tell us about that. Well, it was uh, put together by Alan Pakula, and it was uh, distributed by Warner Brothers and released on June 25th, 1971. And uh, it's been referred to as uh, Mr. Pakula's uh, first in his Paranoid Trilogy. There was Clute, and then the Parallax View, and then... um, all the president's men in 1976 and i've got to say of all the paranoid movies i've ever seen the parallax view takes the takes the winner from 1974 <laughs> with warren Beatty and paul apprentice i left that film really really depressed oh no <laughs> and, and frightened it's uh it, it's Clute and All the President's Men are really well-done dramas and, and uh, mysteries and that sort of thing, but the parallax view is v- so bleak. It really is. It's, of the three, it's the, uh, it's the one that I think is the most paranoid. And it's the one of the three that didn't get any Academy Award nominations, so I don't think people were thrilled by it. But it's, uh, in general, it's huh? well done, and a lot of it is shot in uh, Seattle. I don't think I've ever seen that one. And now I'm not sure I want to after you, <laughs> your description. That glowing description. <laughs> uh, but but he, he, um, he was an excellent director. He did uh, uh, The Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. And uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier plays a mad Nazi dentist run amok. And then he uh, also did The Star Chamber with Michael Douglas. Kind of, oh yeah, I have seen that one. And that's a pretty good one. I guess you could say that's a yeah. conspiracy theory film too. I would say so. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the background. It was uh, it was a huge hit. I mean, it did uh, extremely well in the box office. I, I don't have the well, numbers. Well, Jane Fonda won her first Academy Award for this one too. That's right. Yep. Uh, and then she did another one in 1978, Coming Home, where she won a second Oscar as Best Actress. I did want to mention that Alan Pakula also did a movie from 1997, The Devil's Own, with Brad Pitt and Harrison Ford, yeah. which is an excellent film, I think. That was his last movie. He was, this is sight of an aside, but he was tragically killed in an auto accident in 1998. He was driving down the expressway in New York, I think on the Long Island Expressway or one of those, and a car in front of him tire threw up a pipe that went through the windshield of Pakula's car, and he was killed instantly at the age of 70. That was, yeah, it was, he, was, uh, he was in Melville, New York. I, that reminds me of a time we were driving home from uh, Seattle in a in my minivan at the time, and there was a big semi up in front of us, and it ran over like a it was about a foot and a half long, and it was one of those four by four posts, you know, like a, that you would use to put in a sign or something. Yes, and it 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 bounced and flew, and and uh, I I thought it was going to go through the windshield, and it it would have it could have killed somebody in the car if it had but it, it got stuck in the air intake in the at the bottom of the front of the van you, oh know? It, you know those little like openings yeah. where the air flows through and and when i got home it was still there and i had to really work to get it out it was that was terrifying those are those are very common and 
I was surprised that uh, this was so tragic for him because he had such an excellent career, and he was you know he would have been making many more films, I'm sure. So he also did the Presumed Innocent with Harrison Ford. Right? Yes, he did. That's the one where I ruined the plot. I just that every time I laugh so hard every time that movie comes up because I remember Tin and I wanted to go see that and 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 the very first thing out of your mouth without even a split second hesitation was oh that's a really great movie the did it yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's I remember that like it was yesterday I learned my lesson after that I've never done that but yes he he did that. Oh, man. Yeah, that was... That was so funny. So Jane Fonda, uh, boy, she's done a lot of films, and now she's doing this um, Netflix series, Grace and Frankie, which uh, Nancy and I have watched all 78 episodes. Lily Tomlin is just a hoot. She's great. <laughs> and well, so is Jane Fonda. She plays a she plays a great straight person in that she show. She does. She was she did a she had a, <laughs> a, a strong part in the China Syndrome from 1979, which again could be a paranoid film. It's about a kind of a Chernobyl type of uh, nuclear accident. Yeah. Well, and I also love how active she is with social justice issues too. She'll she'll go to a protest just with the intention of being arrested, so that they can have photos of her being arrested. She did that recently uh, with Sam Waterston. They were both arrested in the Capitol. She still has the legacy of her involvement in the Vietnam per- period, which is we could do an entire show on on the pros and cons of that from the seventies. So, but anyway, Donald Sutherland. Well, we should probably introduce ourselves. Oh, yes. Like Maybe that's a good 10 idea. 10 minutes into the show. <laughs> that's a real good lead-in. Yeah, we sort of forget sometimes. Good catch. Um, yeah, well, thanks for listening, everybody. You're actually listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and uh, you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net, and on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews, and... Uh, I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording in North Bend, which is a little town nestled at the foot of the Cascade Mountains, where we're having really hot, sunny weather right now, and and we really need some rain, which is ironic to say, because most of the year I'm wishing it was like this. (laughs) And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles welcoming everyone back to Classic Movie Reviews and our already started review of Clute from 1971 which is, uh, to me, a, a, a colorized, a color version of a film noir movie. And uh, oh, totally. as I was watching it again, I, uh, I thought, you know, the story actually, the, the, this plot is pretty simple and straightforward, unlike some of the 1940s film noir movies, which are so convoluted. Every time I watch, for example, The Big Sleep, I have to go back and read how the plot really worked. Because everybody involved in it was not sure they ever understood it. But this film, and it, even the people making even, it, yeah, right? even the writer Raymond Chandler wasn't quite sure. <laughs> but this one, at least, you know, it's it's it it's got a pretty pretty simple story. It's well done, and and the and the character development is excellent. But uh, it, it, yeah, it was really about the atmosphere and building up the mood and the, and the in depth uh, uh, presentation of. 
of uh, Bree Daniels' character, Jane Fonda's character. Yeah, I loved her portrayal of Bree Daniels. And it was interesting reading about her perception of this role because she actually didn't really like this movie very much. And she didn't like how that character was presented because I think she's pretty independent, like feminist. And this character is presented in a way that it's like, well, all you need to do is find a good shrink. I think this is a quote from Jane Fonda. All you need to do is find a good shrink and a good man and you're going to be okay. And Wow. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read that she uh, tried to get out of her contract to do it. Yeah, because I think she, I, I she kind of was not super excited about this film, but she did an amazing job. Like, I was so impressed with her acting. The... Uh... I th- for me, the, uh, the the story is is basically a murder mystery, uh, and 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 you almost could tell from early on, pretty much how it's going to go in terms of the character that's the villain. I don't know. I, I he just he just seemed a little too ominous the way and, and he was presented to me. I guess it's about two thirds of the way through the movie that we find out who it is, and. Or maybe it's a little bit further into the movie, but it's, yeah, I thought the, I thought the character uh, was well portrayed in terms of how evil he, he was. And, and I think it's also a, a commentary on power and how people in power feel like they can do whatever they want. I agree. It, it was, it's really different from some of the other films that came out in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where in the last two minutes you discover who the villain is. I remember one with Glenn Close where she plays the attorney and she defends uh, Jeff Bridges and we all think he's you know n- not not the uh person that she, he's portrayed in the courtroom and then we find out at the closing that there's an entirely different ending. It, yeah, that was a it shock. It didn't have that kind of a feel to it, but the the one thing I wanted to mention was um the the music that was done by yeah. Michael the Michael Small, and I mixed up some things here. I was saying I say that Alan Pakula had been involved in the Marathon Man, the Star Chamber. Michael Small did the music for those. I don't know that Alan Pakula, oh, okay. so I got to clarify that. He also did the music for the Parallax View, but you know it, it's it's kind of a minimalist musical theme, but it it really adds to the. Uh, darkness and and the foreboding nature of the film it's it's not overpowering like some of the some of the other film like bernard herman or uh, dimitri tiamkin those kind of things but uh, yeah i i actually really really like the music and it set the tone so well for the film and it was actually the music and the scenes of the city at night and kind of the the grunginess of it that that made me feel like I was watching a scene from Blade Runner. There was a couple yes. there was a couple scenes that I swear if you put a little bit more neon in the in <laughs> lights in the in the in the scenes it would be like right out of Blade Runner. And I, I so then I thought that I started thinking like is this connected to Blade Runner somehow and I found an article that I will post in the show notes and I sent it to you too dad and it Compared four what they called neo-film noir films, this article was saying that it, it's not exactly film noir. The same with Blade Runner. He was saying that he doesn't really think Blade Runner's film noir as much as like a, a dark detective film, but it doesn't have some of the characteristics of the earlier film noir, which 
I kind of agreed with actually when I read this article because Brie Daniels initially is presented almost like a femme fatale. Yes, the first half hour, you're not quite sure. And then and then her character switches to where now she's dependent on him and, and he becomes the savior. And I think in a real film noir, like some of the early ones that we reviewed, the female character is never really in need of saving by the detective. And in fact, she's kind of <laughs> as dangerous as some of the characters that he, the detective is trying to stop or investigate. Oh, what comes to mind is uh, Double Indemnity and Barbara Stanwyck. Exactly. That's what I was yeah. thinking too. And I don't know that this is a film noir, but I definitely think it, I would classify it as a, as a dark detective film. And I love the, the aesthetic of it and the grittiness of the city. And I, I, this kind of reminded me of Alfred Hitchcock's um, rear window. They, they built that apartment that she lives in so that she could actually live in it during filming. It had a working toilet and everything. And I remember that was also the case with the woman in Rear Window, who was the always the ballet dancer. She wanted to be the ballet yeah, she dancer. Li- she was actually living in that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think... For me, I feel that same way. the The film is the the film is very dark at times. Even the lighting, even throughout the film, the majority of the time, the the lighting is quite shadowy and dark. I thought to myself, they must have saved a bundle of money on lighting costs, because it's. I I I read that it took a long time to get the lighting set up right, so it, it would take hours to light the set correctly for for filming. Because it, it it is on the one hand it is really low lit, but on the other hand that's really challenging to capture on film. Yes, so you can see what's going on. Uh, so it's also uh, very menacing. The film has a lot of menace to it, and foreboding. And I would say that. Uh, a big part of that is is the cinematography, but it, it, the music is so low key in a way. It, it's kind of a jazzy sort of score, and it, it somehow adds to the the overall impact of how menacing it could be. I don't know. It's it's an it's an interesting mix. It really it really is. Um, well, the, just a little bit more about Alan Pakula because he did so many great movies. He did about twenty films and. I was looking at the list, and pretty much all of them I've seen, and they're really excellent. And then uh, I, I, I wanted to mention Donald Sutherland. Uh, I can never say enough positives about him. He's, he can do any kind of role, anytime, anywhere, all the way from the Dirty Dozen, where he plays that goofy uh, prison inmate that gets added to the Dirty Dozen, and then don't look now from 1973 that but in this one he's he's really he's very subdued and very um tightly wound he doesn't really let you get to know him that well as a, as a character he's, yeah he's a he's a police officer in a small new jersey town i think it's in new jersey or pennsylvania i'm not sure somewhere in that area and he is friends with a couple folks and one of them goes missing and the other friend of his who's played by um who's peter cable played by charles siofi uh hire him to investigate what happened to uh their friend who is gruneman i'm not sure what his first name is 
So yeah, Trina Gruneman played by Rita Gam and Peter Cable played by Charles Siofi hire Donald Sutherland to investigate. And he's a police officer. He's not a private detective and he's never done any missing person work. But he agrees to do it because of their friendship. And he really believes he wants to do something. He's really involved in it emotionally. Yeah, emotionally involved in it. And I think that's... The setup at the beginning is that they think that that's going to be really helpful. Even though he's never done missing person work... He's emotionally invested, so he'll be he'll be really devoted to, to finding them. It's been six months. Tom Gruneman's been missing for half a year. And all the FBI has to offer is a, a report that must bore even you. There are thousands of honest, decent men who simply disappear every year. Neither Mrs. Gruneman nor I are willing to just dismiss this case. And therefore, we feel entitled to investigate on our own. You're entitled. Uh, there are some very competent... Uh, John Clute offered us his services, and we've accepted. Clute knew Tom, and he has a great many ideas about the case. You ever done any missing persons work before? No. Have you spent any time in the city? No. Well, speaking frankly... You're wondering why we thought of Clute. Frankly. He's interested. And he cares. Why didn't you ever find out anything from that girl? We held her in a surveillance, expecting your boy Gruneman to show up there. Didn't. We arrested her on a CP charge, convicted, two months women's city prison, offered to reduce sentence. She cooperated. Now, she thought she remembered Gruneman from those letters from before. She made that connection, but she hadn't seen him since then and couldn't identify his photograph. A good call girl. She'll turn six or seven hundred tricks a year. Faces get blurred. And since then, she's reported several incidents like breather calls, anonymous phone calls. Also, somebody may be following her, watching her, things like that. So I guess it's conceivable that Gruneman's still around there, still bugging her. Yeah, the, the family is really disgusted with the detective work that was done. They just felt like it was like an indifferent approach. They did all the right procedures, but they really didn't pursue some of the things. So yeah. so uh, John Clute uh, heads off to New York to, to start the investigation. And, uh, and he's, he's very sort of straight, like yes, very, very, very uh, like you said, tightly wound. He doesn't show a lot of emotions. He, he kind of comes off to me as... As like a, a archetype of a, a a knight in shining armor, you know, like he's he's coming, he's gonna swoop in and, and solve this this case, you know. I, I was watching him, uh, and then I, I I watched part of it a second time. He grew up in Saint John, Nova Scotia, which is a reasonably small town, and I was wondering, did he really call back to his childhood and growing up years for this character part? Because it does have a real strong feeling for me of someone from a middle-sized community, not one of the big coastal cities. He could have actually been from Wichita, Kansas. Oh, totally. And it really shows what a great actor he is because, uh, you know, you think about Don't Look Now or or uh, body, Invasion of the Body Snatchers or M.A.S.H. or... Space, space Cow... Remember Space Cowboys? With, yeah, with Clint Cowboys. Eastwood and James Garner, and they go off. <laughs> or even like the the Mockingbird, the um, 
the movies that he's been in recently, um, The Hunger Games. Um, he plays the president. He's very menacing in that. But yeah, I liked his character. I I agree that he doesn't show a lot of emotions, but I think that we do get to know him through the course of the film. Like he reveals his character through the course of the film by not even by actions that he does, but almost by actions that he doesn't yeah. do. Like he doesn't he doesn't take advantage of Bree Daniels and he is very much focused on his job, even though Bree is in some ways trying to tempt him to betray his moral code almost. Is that how you get most of your dates? Somebody gives your name to somebody else? Most of them, yeah. And that how you met the man who beat you up? I don't remember. It was two years ago. God. Well, how else do you get dates? Uh, pimps? Oh, you're very square, Cookie. No, pimps don't get dates for you. They just take the money. The police have given me a list of names. I'd like to ask you about them. Frank Lagurin. Look, I'm sure this is going to amuse you, too. But I'm really trying to get away from all that. What about this evening, the old man? You saw that? God damn you! He's 70 years old. His wife is dead. He's been cutting garments since he was 14. He's maybe in his whole life had one week vacation and I'm all he's got. And he never lays a hand on me. What harm is there in that? And what's your bag, Clute? What do you like? You a talker? A button freak? You like to have your chest walked around with high heel shoes? Maybe you like to have us watch you tinkle? Okay. Or do you get it off wearing women's clothes? Goddamn hypocrite squares! Okay. Oh, I hope this isn't gonna make my cold any worse. Now tell me about Frank Lagurin. He was my old man. We broke up. When? When did you break up? About eight months ago. Would you mind not doing that? Well, I thought I could trade you for those tapes. Doesn't it get lonely down there in your little room? Or maybe I could bring you some friends. I've got some terrific friends. No, thank you. Well, men have paid $200 for me, and here you are turning down a freebie. You could get a perfectly good dishwasher for that. He's very, he's, he stays within his professional uh, suit throughout the whole thing. Yeah. I was just, I'm amazed that he's been in the business almost uh, uh, 80 years. Oh, my gosh. Let me see. 1963 wow. to 2020. That's more like 60, 60 years. years. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 60 years. I was thinking. It's too early. I need more. You need more coffee. 80 years. He started when he was four. But right. uh, he's done 140 films. And he's appeared in everything. He was in the recent Ad Astra Brad Pitt movie. Oh, he was. I yeah, it's yet. it's a good film. Yeah. He he plays a different part in that. So he he is he really inhabits the uh, John Clute character. But I think the the standout performance though is definitely Jane Fonda. Yeah, and we really get to know her character. And and what I liked was that we saw different aspects of her character. So she's a prostitute, and she is she's kind of a high end prostitute who is trying to get out of the business, but she, she is sort of having a hard time with that 
she really likes aspects of of that work she likes the control she even she so she's even seeing a psychiatrist and she's got a great uh, uh, scene there where she talks about why she likes doing what she's doing how are you today i'm not going to be able to come back anymore oh i'm sorry because i just can't afford it did i fail you Bree? Well, I mean, I've been coming here all this time, and I've been paying you all this money, and why do I still want a trick? Why do I still walk by a phone and want to pick up the phone and call? Did you think I had some magic potion? You'd come in and tell me what your problem was, and I would just take it away? What's the difference between going out on a call as a model or as an actress or as a call girl? You're successful as a call girl. You're not Because when you're a call girl, you control it. That's why. Because... Someone wants you, not me. I mean, there are some Johns that I have regularly that want me, and that's terrific. But they want a woman, and I know I'm good. And I arrive at their hotel or their apartment, and they're usually nervous, which is fine because I'm not. I know what I'm doing. And for an hour, for an hour, I'm the best actress in the world and the best fuck in the world. And why do you say you're the best actress in the world at that oh, time? Oh, because it's an act. That's what's nice about it. You don't have to feel anything. You don't have to care about anything. You don't have to like anybody. You just, uh, you just lead them by the ring in their nose in the direction that they think they want to go in. And you get a lot of money out of them in as short a period of time as possible. And, uh, and you control it and you call the shots. And I always feel just great afterwards. And you enjoyed it? No. Why not? You said there's nothing wrong with it. Why not, you said? Well, there's a difference. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, uh... Morally, I didn't enjoy it physically. I, I came to enjoy it because it made me feel good. It made me feel like I wasn't alone. It made me feel... Uh, that I had some control over myself, that I had some control over my life, that I, uh, that I could determine things for myself. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here. It's just so silly to think that somebody else can help anybody. Then we see her back at her apartment, and, and I just felt like, oh my gosh, this I felt like she could have been one of my kids. She was just bundled up with a, with a handmade quilt, laying in bed, reading a book, and she just looks so vulnerable and so young in, in that scene. And so all alone. And so yeah. all alone. And, and then I just started thinking, like, how, I just started thinking, how did she get to where she's at now in her life. It, it really made me think about her character. It was, it was so well done. Well, I, I thought uh, Pakula did a, a great job in presenting how, uh, how trying to get into the modeling and acting profession can be so demeaning. They are lining up women, probably 15 at a time at an art gallery, and, it, and, the, and the two uh, people from the production company just go down the line and are commenting about every one of these people. 
their eyes are too close together or they out loud, out loud yeah right, right, in, right front in front of them, of them. Right in front. and then they just dismiss 15 of them and then bring in another 15 you stand up please Hi. Okay. Hi, can I see your, your eyes? Let, let me see your hair. Take your hair, your hat off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Too pretty. Too pretty. Too pretty. She's, she's now that's kind of the exotic. Color. That's the the color. coloring is great. Yeah, I don't know. It's not quite it, though. No, not really. Hello. Can I see your hands? Mm. Thank you. She's so funny. Yeah. No. No. She is great. Beautiful eyes. Yes, lovely. Hi. That's the coloring, you know? Yeah, let me see you smile. Your I hands. think she has that cross between... She's great, but I've seen you before. Yes, have I you think done so. any cosmetic ads? Yes, I have. You have? Yeah. A conflict. It's How could they send us people face. with a conflict? Don't I don't believe call this. that agency. Oh. Irene Dunn would have had it. That would be perfect. C-minus. C-minus. Got a fine for today. Okay, that's it. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. It was like cattle calling almost. It was just really dehumanizing. And she, and it gave me a really good perspective on what she had to go through to try to pursue this career and the strength that it would take to even stay with it to try to succeed at it. Because she said at one point, if I was full-time at what I do, I could be living on Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue. Well, and she said she was at one point because there's later in the film when they're investigating... Uh, another another disappearance or, or death, I think, uh, which was ruled a suicide. And that was that Arlen Page or no? There was, a, was there was another it was one. The second woman. Yeah, I don't think it was Arlen Page who was played by Dorothy Tristan. It was another uh, prostitute that was friends with Bree Daniels, and she had, she had been killed yeah. or, or no had died and and it was ruled a, a suicide but they they do some more investigating and and start to think that it was a murder and as they're investigating this and kind of putting the pieces together they go visit the madam that that Bree used to work for on 5th Avenue and you could you could just tell how much money was involved there and it was they were sitting on top of this building with the sun shining and it was just very rich looking it was and and the uh, the owner, the madam, really wanted Bree to come back. She could said she could come back anytime, doesn't matter when. And she had walked away from that to try to become an actress or a model. And it was it was so sad too, for me when, so part of the investigation we meet, well we kind of skipped over the fact that, Clute um, goes to New York City, meets up with Bree. They sort of go back and forth on whether Bree's going to help or not, but Bree ends up deciding that she will help with this investigation because she's also being threatened. She's getting these weird phone calls where the person just breathes in the line and then hangs up, and uh, she's she feels like maybe she's being watched, and it, it's just weird. So she hooks up to do the investigation with Clute, and they end up meeting her old pimp, who was played by Roy Scheider, and... He was kind of a slime ball, I thought. He was... <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> wow. A fast-talking, slick dandy who was living off the, uh, the, the, the spoils of all these women that he... I never recruit them. They come to me. 
Right? Yes. And it's kind of true because what happens a few scenes later is that Brie is really kind of hitting rock bottom. And she goes, she decides to go back to, to uh, Frank. Yeah. And that scene, she just looks so defeated. And he, he, she kind of tries to cuddle up to him and he moves her away a bit. Where they're in yeah, like you can't get too, too close. close. And, and and I think she wanted, she almost wanted a, like a father figure with him. And he, he was not that at all. And John, uh, yeah, John comes to her rescue. See, this is where I think it kind of, like around here is where it sort of turns from a, what could have been a film noir where Brie was a femme fatale to where it's really more of a story about John Clute saving Brie. Because he beats, kind of beats the crap out of Frank at one point, uh, because Frank is trying to pull her, really pull her back into that lifestyle. He takes care of business, and it, it does turn the it does turn the film in a different direction. I wanted to mention the one scene where Clute is in her apartment and feels that someone is spying on her, and and oh, then yeah, that was good. He's, he's kind of wandering around with this gun and flashlight and it was fairly dark and I, I you know it was it was scary to me to watch that and i'd seen the film two or three times it it was like a scene out of alien Remember yes in alien where yes. they are going through those corridors it felt exactly yeah. like that and at any moment i expected the killer to pop out and try and... to kill him or something yeah that was so well and done. the music and the great, music great adds suspense. to that suspense as well i'm going to sit you down on the bed there's someone on the roof. Sit. Sit. I also like Clute's little apartment that he had in the basement of that building. It was one room. It looked like a storage locker room. And he says, you could have the bed. I'll use this thing. He pulls out from underneath it, a, a trundle bed or something like that. Yeah, because after that scene where he's trying to find that whoever was spying on them, uh, Breeze freaked out. So she wants to spend the night down in Clute's apartment. And it was like very awkward it was awkward <laughs> and that it looked like some kind of a jail cell i don't think there was a window or anything there just like a pit it was, it was yeah it was furnished about as well as a jail cell would be furnished yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's fine that's that's another touch of the small middle sized town kind of person he's comfortable with that because that's what he has to have and that's the kind of money he's got and i, I remember one scene where he says, I'll pay you $100. I forget exactly what was going on, but he only had $100 to spend on this. And he says, that's all I've got. Do you remember that scene? I've yeah. lost the context of what the money was for. Um, but somebody's trying to push him to get more money. And he says, I don't have any more. That's all I've got. 
he was trying to buy information, <clears throat> I think, and that and that was all the money that he had. And again, that's another feature of somebody that comes from that that life. That's what it is. That's what I've got. So, gosh, I just think this movie reminds me of so many other movies, and I, I don't know if it's just because of the genre that it's in, or the cinematography, or the music, or what. But I, I you know, it's all of the above. I, I could see this movie being somewhat influential uh, to other movies that came later. Yeah, because this one is 1971, so a lot of these other films came, like Alien was, what, 79, and Blade Runner, 82, 1982. I think I think it was influential on in that. And the script, what I, I forgot to mention earlier, the writing for this was so well done, and, and it... It, it gave the story, it told the story in a way that even I could follow it from beginning to end without any side trips, like some of the other films where they have subplots that you wander off into something that really doesn't add to the overall storyline. But this one is... No, it was, very, it was very tight. It was very much, everything in the film contributed to it. And it's not that everything contributed to solving the mystery necessarily, but it all contributed to building the mood and building the characters and... Um, I, 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 I actually particularly did like those scenes between Brie and her psychiatrist. And it was, I read that the director wished that he had had two cameras in those scenes because he had one and he would switch back and forth between the two. Like he'd film Jane Fonda doing her part. And then, you know, when she was done, he would film the psychiatrist. And he said that actually... The psychiatrist, the actress that played the psychiatrist reactions to Bree's acting, you know, to Jane Fonda's acting were so much better when Jane Fonda was actually, you know, doing her part. And I and I thought that was an interesting observation. But I, I did like that because it felt very real to it me. It does. Like that, that did seem like some like a conversation that you would have in counseling. And that's I think that's got to be really difficult to, to write so it doesn't come across as either too shallow or phony or or mm-hmm. fluffed up or stereotypical yeah, yeah. it's a, really an excellent movie i remember when i first saw this film it was at a drive-in theater in denver oh interesting that's how that that was the big way to go out for a night and you were uh probably about a year old in the back seat of the car asleep well and <laughs> Drive-ins were great when you have little kids like that because you can bring them with you, yeah. and if they start crying, nobody, nobody cares, cares, and you can kind of, kind of, console them while you still watch the movie. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that or not. Uh, no, I really don't. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, you know, we had a couple of films where we we went down a little bit in our rating scale, but I'm right back up at a at a nine with this one. I could go to a ten without a whole lot of trouble, but I I'm going to settle on a nine. Just because the 10 benchmarks that we have are, you know, like Double Indemnity and Gentleman's Agreement. Yeah, I kind of like that we didn't give away the ending on this one, just because I think it, it's fun to watch that unfold. I I, I do want to call out one scene that was so powerful. I, I It brought tears to my eyes, and, I, and I, I think I'll be haunted by it for quite a while. And that was at near the end, when everything is about to be resolved, and the, the killer plays that tape of the murder of the first prostitute that he murders and he's recorded the whole thing and he pl- he plays it for Bree yeah. 
and Bre- and and I and I read that Jane Fonda had initially planned on playing that as as being really scared and 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 frightened, but she those tears were genuine. She said that she didn't plan on crying in that scene, but as she listened to that, she was so moved by it that she just started crying. And I and I was moved by that. I thought that was one of the best scenes in film. It was it was amazing. It is. It reminds me of some of the excellent film scenes, like the one from. Uh... On the waterfront, with the two brothers in the back seat of that car, the power—the totally. power of that—it it was so real. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't want to give away the ending because we already goofed on presumed innocent. I thought <laughs> maybe we should only make one goof per podcast, but it. Uh... Well, a lot of times we do. I mean, almost all the time we do give away the ending. I think this is—we could not spoil it on this one. Um, yeah, I. I I was vacillating between an eight and a nine. I, I, the more I thought about it, though, I think it's just a really excellent film. I'm going to go with the nine as well. The thing that moved it a little bit out of the paranoid realm was the ending. It seemed that it seemed to me there was hopefulness in the way the film ended. And it and it kind of wrapped everything up at the end too, which I think if they'd left it more open, or if maybe it didn't resolve quite so strongly at the end that it could be still pretty paranoid, <laughs> but everything up to the last five minutes was very, uh, paranoid though. Oh, totally. I did want to do, do a real quick, uh, recognition of Roy Scheider. I know we, we covered his character, but he was in a lot of films, over 50 films and, uh, was excellent in the French connection from also from 1971 and died tragically from cancer. Uh, but the thing that I found most interesting in his background is he was a boxing, he was a boxer, a oh, welterweight really? boxer uh, and, and did quite well. He, he didn't do a lot of bouts, but he won eight and lost one. And then he decided, you know, I think I'll do something other than box. And then he decided to become an actor. But I've always been a, fan of his and remember the tv show that he did sequest D- dsv from the 90s oh yeah yeah he was in that almost like 50 that episodes but anyway i just i wanted to throw that in because i did i had made a note of that so yeah the film is is really excellent and i'd recommend it yeah we didn't talk too much about charles Cioffi, but he's been acting for a really long time too he did a lot ton of tv um, he was in a movie called Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, <laughs> which was uh, Fred Ward. Yeah, Fred, Fred Ward plays Remo Ward, Williams. Yes. He was in another one, a Tom Cruise movie, <clears throat> All the Right Moves from 1983, and uh, and he plays the character of Pop in that film. Yeah. He's the kind of... A- he's one of those actors... I was oh, just going to say, he's the kind of actor you see him on the screen, you say, who is that? Exactly. That's what exactly, and 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 you know you've seen him, but you don't know what he's been. <laughs> That's as far yeah. as I know, he's still active. Well, his latest uh, was two thousand eight, so I'm not sure. He's still he's still uh, living. He's he's eighty four, according to what I read. So yeah, really good movie. Uh, good way to start off our paranoid film festival and what are what are the next three movies that we're watching we had to make a change well the the next three in the order that we have them are coming up next will be three days of the condor from 1975 with robert redford and uh, cliff robertson and i believe faye dunaway is in that 
And then we're going to do Capricorn One from 1977 with uh, Sam Waterston and others. That's truly a paranoid film. And then we had the switch, and we're going to do um, the conversation with uh, from 1974 with, um, oh my goodness, I just forgot the lead actor's name. Uh, Gene Hackman, yes. And he's, he's an eavesdropper. He's a professional wiretapper. And we did want to do Telephone with Charles Bronson from 1977, but we're unable to find it uh, available on anything currently. It's like it was on some of the streaming services and now is not, so we switched over to The Conversation. So it's Three Days of the Condor, Capricorn One, and The Conversation. That'll, that'll set us into a spin, won't it? It will, and, and then I have... I So in my internet sleuthing on obscure films, <laughs> I found one called V or it's V-I-Y, it's Russian, and it is a Russian sort of allegory ghost story. Ooh. And it's super weird and, and interesting looking, and I think also would be fun to talk about in terms of the political context that it was produced in, in Russia. Um, so I'm wondering after the Paranoid Film Festival, if we couldn't find some foreign films but that are more obscure and sort of odd oddities is this one uh, available where we would actually be able to find yeah it? it is yeah so i'll send I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes and i'll send you a link too dad okay you can take a look at it and see what you think but it's it's a weird one and i think it could be kind of fun to do something just out of left field i'm up for that there's got to be a lot of them I would oh, yeah. think the French had done and and the Scandinavian films. We got to find some. Totally. Yeah. Um, totally. Have you had a chance to watch that Soviet film from the 1980s? Come and see. Man, I I think I have a mental block against watching it. I'm scared to watch. I, it. I think I think I I think I scared <laughs> you away from it. But you 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 really you really will. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I mean, in a, I need to in watch a strange, yeah. searing sort of way. Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. Well, that was uh, Clute, which I love that name, too. I, f- I forgot to mention, they should have made a whole series of Clute movies. <laughs> it would have been cool. Like James, and, uh, James think, Bond, that would be yeah, John yeah. Clute. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think we both really liked it. Oh, so yes. coming to you from coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And from Los Angeles, this is Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. You know, I've, I've explained to him what, what I have to do. And, and I think, you know. I think he understands what, what could ever happen for us. I mean, we're so different. And uh, I mean, I know enough about myself to know that whatever lies in store for me, it's not going to be uh, setting up housekeeping with somebody in Tuscarora and darning socks and doing all that. I mean, that's just, uh, I'd, I'd go out of my mind. To say what? I'm going to miss him.
Marie Daniels. How is Roy? Well, I'm leaving town right now, and I, I don't expect to be back. You're very nice. Thank you. I have no idea what's going to happen. I just, I, I can't stay in the city, you know? Maybe I'll come back. You'll probably see me next week. I saw this sign yesterday. I was I was personally offended by it, saying it was an advertisement for like a assist not not assisted living, but sort of like sort of like that. It's maybe a retirement home you could call it, but it was like fifty five plus. Oh yeah, and I, you know I'm like, wait a minute. I I think that's a little young. Have, have <laughs> you received your AARP? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I signed up for that because of all the discounts. Well, there's discounts. Plus, they have a magazine that's in. It's a fun one to read. Yeah, I do like their magazine, and I got a cargo trunk organizer that I gave to Jaden. Oh, there you go. for free. <laughs> it, it, it pays to get old. <laughs> and then I, so I told the kids that, and they said, "Well, you guys do look young for your age. Some of our our friends' parents are your age, and they look a lot older." I'm like, "Oh, well." I'll I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks. You see, a lot of times it's it's not so much that they look older, but they act older. Yeah, I have a friend, huh. or sort of a friend. He's a photographer friend, and he he loves to project the image of being like about sixty. Or he's he's yeah he's my age. He just turned my age, but he's got this long, really long beard that's white, and he just constantly talks about himself as the old man and i think there are just some people that they, they just they love that persona you know even though if he shaved and got a haircut he would look you know 10 years younger at least they revel in being an old fart yeah god not me man i'm gonna i'm gonna stay young at heart till i'm laying on my deathbed <laughs> i feel the same way